probably should start talking and just mouthing the words without any sound coming out. I'll pay some of you in advance to nod like you really get it, Jimmy. Anyway, let us pray. O Father, Son, and Spirit, Triune God, one being in three persons, light unapproachable, mystery most secret. Lift our minds to contemplation of thine unfathomable judgments and fill our hearts with the light of thy divine love, that we may serve thee in spirit and truth even unto our last breath. We pray thee, hear and have mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to teach again on hypostasies and hypostatic principle, but I just wrote the words out so you could see them if you didn't. If you weren't familiar with them and you're wondering what I was saying, <clears throat> I sort of written them down last week, but I lost touch with boards, and so I forget sometimes to write things down that I intend to write down, but don't. So uh, there they are. And you can pronounce it hypostases or hypostases or hypostases or however you want is fine. Uh, the other one is hypostatic principle. Uh, so when you read Father Zacharias, read anybody who's orthodox, you're going to come across the word hypostases or hypostatic. Uh, so you should have an idea what it means when you stumble on it. I want to talk today on man, the target of God. And really, all these concepts are going to overlap. So everything in orthodoxy overlaps. There's nothing that stands isolated on its own. That's a mistake to make. They're all parts of a whole. Uh, and everything has, has its place in these. So I'm talking about man, the target of God, and two aspects of being the target of God. That is attracting God and the communion, what's called the God's communion of states to us. And I'm starting out by, because with something else on the board here, let me, so now that you, you've got hypostasis and hypostatic principle, right? Sorry. So you can read the rest of this. I've mentioned this in the past, but there are three types of knowledge. One is knowledge from God, and this is the essence of orthodoxy. God reveals himself in his very nature. He, he's self-revealing. His energies are him revealing himself. And that influences all knowledge and affects all knowledge. You may remember me saying that we should look at a video called The Cosmic Eye. And if you looked at it, you see picture, it goes, looks at all of the cosmos, and every time it gets, it gets farther and farther out to the extent of human, current human knowledge, uh, the, 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 what is part of the material creation gets large, seems to get larger and more complex. And yet we lose track. You can't even see the earth or our solar system in the picture, let alone you and me. <laughs> so <clears throat> all knowledge is, and, and yet we have some something about us. I can't, can't remember. I remember re seeing that and thinking, but God is greater than this. He transcends this. And so we may continue to get more knowledge, but God is still greater, always greater and beyond. So God reveals himself, and that influences all knowledge, which then helps influence us and our understanding of ourselves. That's a key period, uh, factor here, and that's what I want to look at today in the class. Well, another type of information that's, that's part of this and that is God reveals himself, and then there's a bracket of knowledge, knowledge, just general data, knowledge of self, what, we, what, what the general data teaches us about ourselves, uh, and knowledge of, of 
God, knowledge of God. Anyway, knowledge that a deity exists. And we take all of this and we, we measure it against what God has revealed against himself. We do this in orthodoxy. We actually do both, but this one predominates. And in the separated West, this one is the one that took place and is often used. There's nothing wrong with this, except that there's a tendency to just stay here and not, or if one reveals, if one measures what he finds in knowledge against what God has revealed and, does, and they don't agree, then automatically one in America says, well, then the one that comes from God or supposedly comes from God isn't really from God and doesn't really matter. So if we find moral values that don't agree, instead of complying with the God's moral values, we say, I'll do what I want. And that's where this goes wrong. And that's what worldly knowledge is, general information, factual knowledge of self, and that's it. Maybe, maybe we may say, people like looking at the cos cosmic eye, it couldn't be this complex without there being a mind behind it. Therefore, a deity does exist. Well, yeah, but you're not going to arrive at the Trinity and, and, and the two natures of Christ and the incarnation, things like that. Those are more specific. Just higher power. Yeah, just a higher power, yeah. The universe is the one Hollywood likes now. The universe is out there telling me what I need to know about myself and reality. So this is only one step away from this. So we're in a, in, a, in a realm of understanding of reality that is very, very orthodox, and yet wind up over here, where it's just logic. Everything is subject to our logic. And when, when the whole notion of deity is subject to our logical system, then we are guilty of idolatry. That's idolatry. And I don't know about you, but my idols don't exist. They're figments of my imagination. So we have to be careful. We want to stay over here. So everything is really about God revealing himself. Lord, what is it you're teaching me here? Reveal yourself to me. That's what we want. And even if we use both these together, this one predominates. God is revealing himself. Okay, so... Throughout the Bible and the tradition, we have repeated accounts of God seeking to bring us back, humanity back, each and every one of us. Father Zacharias in the Enlargement of the Heart says, from the very first moment of Adam's fall, God sought after the transgressor. Adam, where art thou? He's seeking to bring us back. So here is God beyond all this cosmos, cosmic information and, and we're some little spot, each of us, on, the, on, the, on Earth that we can't see, in the solar system we can't see uh, in the scope of things, and yet he knows exactly which one of us is whom, and he wants to reveal himself to us. So he's, he puts that question to us, Adam, where art thou? This constant attention renders us his target, Father Zacharias likes to say, because St. Sophroni used that term, his target, and I like that because I... He's, he's pointing me out. He's pinpointing me in the midst of all of this. And he's saying, Rooney, I want you. I'm thinking of Uncle Sam uh, posters <laughs> around World War II. You know, Uncle Sam, and if you haven't seen those Uncle Sam, they were real popular. In, through the 50s, when I was a kid, we would see them in everywhere in military bases. And it was Uncle Sam in his red, white, and blue garb. And he'd say, Uncle Sam wants you. And he'd point, you know. So I feel like that's sort of what God is saying. God wants you. you know? 
So he does. He targets us. Uh, Father Zacharias says, God revealed man and set him before him, before, before God, as his target, as God's target, the target of his loving kindness, so that he might care for him night and day through his grace. What honor is greater than that given to man for the creator of the world to become his servant, the minister of goodness and of his salvation? He targets each one of us. Wow. I thought I was a nobody. <laughs> well, I am, but that's not the point. To him, I'm not. And this targeting can be realized in us by a number of practices, any and all of which attract God, attract God. That's another term, term that he uses. And I disliked that when I first heard it, but now I understand what he means. And it begins to have life in it. Uh, <clears throat> And hence, when he's attracted to us, he targets us, and he, there are means which we can do to attract him, to open ourselves to him. Uh, and when we do, there is a communion of states which takes place. So I want to look at those two concepts as subdivisions, if you will, of the whole notion of being targeted by God, one, attracting God. Years ago, when I studied Judaism, I decided to do a parallel study of ancient Semitic cultures, and which included studying their sacrificial and religious beliefs. Uh, and it was said in one source, and I don't know how true this is, but in one source it was said that, that the Semites believed that the, the blood of the sacrifices or the sacrifices themselves attracted the deities the way blood attracts flies. <clears throat> and, and I thought, well, that didn't work for the notion of God. So, so if you have that notion of attracting God, it's not like that. You know, our good deeds attract God. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, including this tax collector over here. So we don't attract God that way. It really has to do with opening ourselves to him. Opening ourselves, that's what attracts God. He gives us the ability in the hypostatic principle to open ourselves to him. And when he finds us willingly opening ourselves, then he comes to us and takes advantage of that willingness. Now, for most of us, it's a little bit here and a little bit there, and we get in a little bit, and we sort of ease in the door a little bit and try it out, and it's going to, you know, I sometimes look back and I think, what a waste of my life that I spent years and years playing this game with God. Um, what time is running out? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to live much longer, so can't be wasting it. I need to get on with it. So in any case... It's not like that. It's not like manipulating God. It's opening ourselves to him. And he has five things that he says that I think enlighten this. And this is not exhaustive, but it's what he says in this one volume. Uh, first one is, in, you know all this one, inviting him in repeatedly. You know, the American Christian notion that you invite Jesus into your heart one time and that's it. Wrong. It's a daily, moment-by-moment -moment process. It's constant. Every morning when I get up to do my spiritual reading, I ask God to come in and enlighten my mind because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. And it's probably just as well because when I don't say that prayer, I'm just so groggy that I can hardly read. I don't know what I've read. I go pages and I'm, what did I just read? I don't know. So, I mean, I have enough trouble with that, with the mysteries as they are. But in any case, it's a constant inviting him in. The second one is perceiving one's sinful sinfulness. Perceiving our sinfulness, that is where we come short, we don't measure up to this. Father Zacharias says, if, and hear what he says, if there is a case when man is infallible, 
It is when he confesses his sinfulness because at that moment he is true. Wow. I mean, nobody ever told us that, that when we confess, when we admit our sins, that's when we are truthful. And God is truth. And he comes to us when we're true. Wow. <laughs> I wish I could remember the same. What he said was something similar to, and it goes along with that, that our illnesses have always attracted the great physician. Yeah. So if we're sin, so we have to admit our sickness, he comes. Anyway, he, he attracts the spirit of truth who brings to the surface all of man's hidden and sinful depths and cleanses him from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> A third one, striving for humility. I'm going to look at this, I think, two lessons down as a charismatic gift. He says, Father Zachary says, the more we humble ourselves, the more rapidly our prayer reaches God. Well, this is not what the world says. It says, do all these things and God can't resist. And here, here, well, yeah, do these things, but this is what he's saying, do. Confess, admit, confess, be truthful about self and humble ourselves, pursue humility in all its truth. Wait till you see some of what it says. Another one is mass attendance, not just corporate attendance, but at the actual working of what we do in the mass, in the divine liturgy. Father Zacharias said, from the moment Christ perfected the body of the church in history, we cannot be saved unless we enlist ourselves in this body, in this work. So we participate in another, it's another theme, and I don't even, I'm not even going into it, but I've mentioned before our universality a representation of all of creation. And fifthly, obeying the commandments. He said it's only via the voluntary descent. See, we, we think of obeying the commandments. I remember one time thinking, I don't want to do this Christian stuff. I have to give up too much. <laughs> and now as I get older, I think well, I, all I need is more time to repent. Who cares about what I gave up? You know, it does, but it doesn't matter. If the atheists are right, when we die, we don't exist, and so it won't matter what choices we made. Won't matter at all. And if they're wrong, whoops. <clears throat> so, in any case, the voluntary descent in obedience to the commandment that the believer can place himself on the humble way of the Lord, learn the indescribable humility of Christ, and be joined to him. Here, the union is happening, it's attracting, we're, it, we're opening ourselves, and so he, we come together. These are some of the means for Father Zacharias of the concept of attracting God. So when he says that, when anyone mentions that in orthodoxy, this whole picture begins to come together, to coalesce, and influence the way we read this material. And it affects us in our spiritual lives. And when we're joined to him, then he conveys his life to us. You know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Uh, the, in the icons of, of the icons versus statuary, one of the problems with statuary, and it's not a, an issue with statuary, but one of the problems is that it's hard to show the halo properly other than as something which hovers above the head. <clears throat> Whereas an icon, you can always have the halo as 
behind. Always, no matter what position you get, you see it round. Whereas if you look at some statuary, the halos are floating above. If you have a copy of the old Black Orthodox Missal, look at the, the image of, of the St. John and the Blessed Virgin. They're standing at the foot of the cross and the beauty of the mass. And, and you can see the halos are at an angle hovering above. Well, God doesn't hover above. It's not like he gives us something that's added to us that defines us. He fills us. He communes himself with us or communicates himself with us. He conveys his life to us. There is a communion of states which occurs. Father Zacharias says, at the moment of the authentic vision, when one beholds something divine, there is a communion of states. The state of Christ is imparted at that moment. He goes on to say, the life of God penetrates and resides in the individual. Penetrates. See, that's why when we do baptisms, we do chrismation immediately afterward. We don't, we don't want one to walk around with baptism, which cleans and cleanses and transforms and empties. We, don't, we fill the space immediately because when a demon goes out of a man, he wanders the wilderness and he comes back and finds the house clean and empty. And he goes and gets seven others and they come back and take the space and the condition of the man is worse than it ever was. Now we know what Jesus is talking about. And so he penetrates, he fills us. We call for that in the, in, the, in, the, in the liturgy. I find it interesting that all the groups that have left orthodoxy over the years, not one of them has a notion like ours where baptism and chrismation are done together. And so the churches that had to get involved in charismatic renewal or, or any kind of emphasis on the giving of the Holy Spirit were groups that had baptism without chrismation attached to it. I just find that interesting. Maybe it's an accident. I don't know. But I find it very interesting. So he penetrates us and resides in. He says, man now straddles the boundaries of the created order and is immersed in the one God straddles. I, I thought about the image in the cosmic eye, the all of the cosmos, and then God is outside. And here you have these two entirely different entities, if you will, one inside the other. Man straddles the two. Father Zacharias says it's as if we are, there is, there is creation and huma fallen humanity and God, and we are there in between with our hands, the way he puts our hands on each each's shoulder, bringing the two together. That's the value of humanity. So he straddles the boundaries of the created order and is immersed in the one God. This is the communion of states. So we want to begin to perceive this perspective by beginning to participate in it by attracting God. So everything we do will serve in that purpose. Who targets us Remember Uncle Sam. All of these are aspects of the hypostatic principle. We were made this way, or as you said, we were built this way. We were made this way. No wonder society is so sick and people are so messed up because there's a big gap, big hole in everybody's heart that was meant to be filled with the communion of God's state to us. And we're trying to fill it with TV and you know, alcohol and drugs and this and that and the next thing. And they don't work. 
They work for a while until we get used to them, then we get bored and we move on and the hole is still there. So in any case, these are aspects of our hypostatic principle. When we begin to enter into this, we begin to realize our, our personhood and who we are. And then things like what we leave behind and what people perceive of us and that trivial stuff just doesn't matter anymore. Just doesn't matter. Now, the next time I want to talk about another aspect of this, and it's knowing our measure. Knowing our measure. Because we're all limited, real limited. And most of us are not going to be remembered two generations down the road. Can we live with that? If we know our measure, we can. So anyway, that's all. By the way, if you read Father Zacharias and you're overwhelmed, you, you should know that that's normal. And you're going to read anyone who teaches orthodoxy correctly is going to overwhelm you. <laughs> so you have to read the books again and again and again and again and again and again, and you never master them. So don't plan to. Don't think you have. And if you're confused, that's all right. Yes, sir. I'm a little slow today, Father, but I was wondering if you could maybe just speak a little bit more on that language of, you know, attracting God or attracting His grace. I've heard a couple of states use that kind of language, you know, and just coming out of my sort of, you know, evangelical background and sort of all that works righteousness stuff, you think, well, I'm doing something to, to get God to kind of, you know, want to come to me, but it's what Father said in the sermon, right? Like, we... You know, he's already there, right? He's already targeting us. We're just, we're the ones off target. We're the ones who missed the mark, right? But remember, remember that the activity, we have free will. And so God, and the way he's made us is to make us to respond to him. So Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, I, I, it's I, the woman you gave me. So he blames automatically. <laughs> he blames God. He blames the woman. So, so we're, so, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> So he blames, and God says, how did you learn this? And he said, well, the woman you gave me, she told me to eat of the fruit, and I did. And, and so in any case, God makes us. He wants us to do what Adam did not do, and that was exercise his will with God. So we cooperate with God. So it's not just a matter of God acts, and we're out there like puppets. We have to choose. And I would say that with free will, in being able to choose God, that people who deliberately reject God are acting more like human beings than people who are indifferent. Because indifferent people are not exercising, they are exercising their wills, but they're just not doing it overtly. But God wants us to cooperate with his grace. So he lays out everything we have to do and we have to respond to it. First and foremost, believe this story, this absurd story that you find in the Bible, that God becomes, that God who's out there becomes incarnate for you and for me. That's preposterous. That's number one. That's only the beginning. I think cooperation is the key. Okay. Everything our faith teaches is, is that our salvation is wrought by the synergy of God and man. God is infinitely targeting Every soul, right? right? The moment I open the slightest door and invite even the slightest bit of God, <laughs> slips in. 
that's when what he's been targeting has a way to get in. You see that? Yeah, so maybe like here's a really, I don't know if it's a good analogy or not. I'm trying to remember back from like college physics and stuff. When you have like a magnetic material, like a hunk of iron, at the molecular level, what makes it magnetic has to do with the orientation, I think, of the molecules. And I feel like disordered humanity is kind of like just a hunk of metal where everything's out of, out of alignment, but as things line up with the poles, then it becomes responsive to like the magnetic field of another thing. And God can come to any one of us at any time, and many of us will have stories where it looks like God came to us in spite of us. <laughs> you know, so, so <laughs> he can do that. And, and it's all, and when we cooperate with God, we're not doing something on our own. We're doing it in conjunction with the understanding that he's going to fill us and that he's going to empower us to do it. And as we go on in the journey, we, we get more, it's more and more, we're opening ourselves to him so that he can do it through us. But he's allowing us to do. I think all of the saints would testify. Yeah. To you know that basic statement every now and again I'll throw out that if we give God an inch, it takes a mile. <laughs> I think every saint would testify. They started out giving an inch, and he took a mile and flooded the room, and so they gave another inch of another room, and he flooded that. You see? Yeah. Yeah. yeah for a real life story. Yeah. <laughs> I have a brother. And uh, he was agnostic for a very, 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 very long time. And one day I was having a conversation with him, and he started talking about God and Jesus. And I said, Michael, I thought you didn't believe. He said, Well, after the second time I got struck by lightning, I think God was trying to get my attention. <laughs> so I had a second, I had to reevaluate things. He literally got struck by lightning twice. <laughs> now that's hard to survive. So he blocked the ticket. Some of, some of us, some of us require that kind of shaking and throttling. Hard-headed people right here require that. Yeah. Are you saying that the attraction and the cooperation are the same? Yeah. Are you saying those are the same thing? Yeah, yeah. We cooperate with God, and that's why He made us so that so that attracting is really functioning the way we're supposed to function so that we open ourselves to him so that he may fill us. He waits for us to willingly do it so that he may come. It's sort of like be the, be the difference between you just showing up at my house and, and me inviting you over. See, uh, it's, I have time to clean up and do things and <laughs> stuff like that. No, it's, it's more than that. Uh, yes. I think that like attracting we tend to think of it a certain way because we tend to use it the same way over and over again. But if you think about like, I keep I keep picturing like maybe a, um, I don't know, like like a bowl or some kind of container. Like think of like maybe a big plastic container filled with water, and the water is just you know equally to get to physics equally you know pressing with the same force on all sides. As soon as you get a weakness in one of those sides or a hole, the water is attracted to that. Yeah. To change the pressure, uh, you know, to fill up that gap, and you know, you, so you can. I, I, I'm kind of thinking of attracting, like, like attraction in that way. Like it's, you know, it's just, it's there. It's, it's kind of, you know, it doesn't want to be in there. It wants to be out, and it's, it's pressing against all the sides. And as soon as, even if there's a little weakness or you know, a 
atmosphere or anything, then all the water is attracted to that one place, which goes along with, you know, which made sense in my head when you were talking about giving an inch and taking a mile. <laughs> So, very simplistic question, but what are ways we can cooperate? What are what? What are ways we can cooperate? Being here on Sundays, participating, trying to participate in the in the mass. So I put some things in here. I didn't mention that uh, on, on that particular lesson. Let me see if I get my dry hands to work. Uh, focusing. Participating in, not just participating in, but focusing, trying to stay focused. Try to try that. <laughs> you know, I, 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 he, he says something in the sermon and I'm gone because I'm out there and I'm out there in the universe somewhere thinking of something. You know, so my wife is always telling me to come back from out. <laughs> it's, it's a real battle. And in, in, in one keep us from, so he, he goes there where we are and he knows. All real, so he knows that just put in a cup of tea and off I'm gone. Uh, and sometimes it can be good ideas, like what's going on in this mass. And do you realize what's going? Do you realize what's going on up here? Yeah, I wonder why I didn't realize. And you know, then just next thing I know, I'm not even thinking about what's happening. I'm glad the that's why I think the liturgy is fixed, so we some of us can't get away with that kind of stuff. So. Seeking to understand, there's there's so much more in the liturgy that needs to be understood. And I was thinking about that today, and just there are parts of it that I've been able to participate so much better because, because I have deliberately sought to understand what's going on up there, not just take it for granted. Uh, and when I do that, then God begins to fill me in certain ways, to touch me in certain ways, to manifest himself to me in certain ways uh, and there's so much more so I'm sort of looking I'm, I'm, I'm part of me is saying why didn't I know this years ago I've been at this for 30 years in orthodoxy why am I just now discovering some of this who knows who cares it is what it is so seek to understand and focus and participation as much as possible try to make those prayers your prayers and rather than just doing them by rote, or this is the way these people do it. <laughs> so if that's the case, then we can change it and do something else. And as we get bored with it, we'll want it changed to something else. We'll want to say, why didn't this guy figure out he's supposed to be a worship leader? Why doesn't he figure out what, what to do that makes it more entertaining? And then people are complaining, well, we don't ever know what's going on because he's changing things all the time. <laughs> So anyway, you know, like this morning, I don't have to answer your question too on a practical level too. It's like what he's saying. With that, those are the, the mass. He's also referring to the liturgical prayers we do, the hours of prayer during the day. Well, let's get even just even underneath all of that. You want to attract God? Start giving Him time. Do we even do that? The moment you give Him time, He'll fill it. If you're looking for Him and desiring Him. And it, it's what helps me, and it may just be how I'm wired, but um, to pay attention during mass or to any prayer um, is, and, 
and it goes against like everything that you you think. But to follow along, like reading along, because you know, and usually, and one of the arguments is like, well, you know, you don't, you know, you, you you're reading prayers that are written down. You know, you're not actually praying. But I mean, me, I need have something in my hand and have to occupy in my eyes with what's going on, the words, and it it always like I'm so much easy, more easily distracted if I'm you know just kind of like you know my eyes will get distracted with something and, you know if I can follow along I need I you know I was, I, was, I forgot where I heard this maybe you but it, uh, I forgot where I heard this but like even if you know the words like your morning prayers evening prayers if you know you know it doesn't take long you got them memorized you can rattle them off like that but read it anyway follow along the words anyway and that will occupy that'll direct everything and shut out everything else because you know I, I know when I read I, I tend to shut out whatever is going on around me and then if you you get to a place where you're praying and you you know you hit a phrase that all of a sudden has jumped out to you maybe and hasn't ever done that before you know then you can if I'm not like actually reading the words and that happens I, I think oh well I should I should I should meditate on this <laughs> And I do, and then before you know it, I've got the you know tomorrow's menu plan. And instead, I can just you know, I'll have it in front of me and just look at the you know look at the words and, and meditate that. But that that's what works for me is to follow along, to be able to keep my attention where it needs to be. And that's participation. It's just the way you you can do it. That's on his question, he said how to help, but I don't think he just been in church. But he was saying, you know, your, your morning prayers, you haven't memorized, but, okay, so I, I have my memory, but um, the, the readings, the daily readings of the Psalms, chant the Psalms at home, do the readings, this gives you a lot of insight into your own life and gives you more meditation time with God, especially the Psalms. Yeah, well, any of the services, it's right here, because we're in a Becoming increasingly in here on Sundays. If you notice in the morning, how a few people there used to be a time, there used to be a time, our car to go to church on Sunday, everybody else was doing the same thing. That's not the case anymore. Getting out on Sunday mornings. So we're a bunch of weirdos, you know. Uh, so, so we keep doing, we do that, and that's where it's. The starting point. That's not all inclusive. All the prayers are. Yes, ma'am. Um, Father Mark suggested a book for me. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. Familiar with it. And what I was needing to do is bloat out my routine of morning and evening prayers to infiltrate the rest of my day. And I do a lot of menial tasks during the day, but this has helped me practice. And uh, like, he gives a lot of really practical advice. <clears throat> I wash the dishes. I pray for my family as I wash the dishes. So not just keeping these do we need to keep, because that gives us a format of how to approach God. I think it's important. But that book has been fantastic. He told me about it a year ago. I bought it immediately. I started reading it last week. <laughs> so but it really is a fantastic book. Well, now I know the lead time I need to <laughs> Also, you're, you're, you're talking about both of these areas 
So some of us will take it as a mystical experience, and some of us have to work our way and then compare it to what God God has revealed. So what you're doing. So this is a very can be very. Uh, so, yes, sir. And I'm a big Brother Lawrence fan as well. If you if you've never read it, read it. it it's worth it. It's about sanctifying moments, and it's about. I sent you something on Facebook just a minute ago, um, a meme that I that I published the other day about God being about having a puzzle piece in your heart, and God being that puzzle piece and making the time and sanctifying, because be it be it. Brother Lawrence standing in the kitchen, literally doing the dishes because that was his job in the monastery, or going to buy the wine for the monastery, um, praying the daily office, or whatever. It's about sanctifying every moment that we have to God because it's not our time, it's his time. Um, and learn, learning, that's what we do, and learning to do that at a, a myriad of levels. And relearning. And yeah, relearning, yes, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and more profound. But it will vary for all of us. And that's why sharing, being in community, we get to share notes, so mm -hmm. to speak. And we learn from one another, things like this. Um, and um, it helps all of us then begin to personally attract God, so to speak, and begin to be what God intended us to be, to open ourselves, our hypostatic principle, begin to develop it. Our, the hypostatic principle has to be developed with our, our cooperation with God. So we want to cooperate with him. You know what attracts God on the parish level? Not only is when individual living stones are opening themselves up to them, but then the fruit that comes out of their mouth to one another is talking about him. And that attracts God at the community level. So don't forget that. We, we think our spirituality is private. That's a lie. Our spirituality is corporate more than anything. If we're truly universal, then each of us, the prayers of each of us, affects all of creation from the beginning of time even to the end of time. All of creation. So that means all of the cosmos and all of that. Our prayers, my prayers, your prayers as individuals. Uh, it affects that. It's how important it is. So we can't trivialize it. And when we realize that, we begin, begin to work at it. And it's such a hard task because we're such feeble individuals. We have so much to overcome. But when we set out to strive to overcome it, uh, then we begin to attract God. And he invades and does the rest. He helps us. He does it in us. But we have to open the door and let him in. Anyway. Next time, knowing our measure. Thank you. <laughs>